Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? I've been uh, working a lot on design stuff recently because, as I mentioned last week or the last few weeks, we've got interns now. Um, they are getting th- the normal flow we have for interns is they've got uh, starter projects to kind of teach them how the code base works. And so they're putting out a ton of little projects and they're all about to start on their bigger summer project that comes later. So I'm kind of scrambling with six people to like, design out enough work for them to do because I don't want them to just be sitting there waiting on me. So that's kind of the main thing that I've been up to recently. That's great. Um, do you feel you like working on design? So I feel like this is this is exciting, right? Yeah, this is probably not my favorite type of design. I still like it, but it's not my favorite type of design stuff because it's not, I don't know, like interns are sort of constrained in what they can do. I'm really excited about what they're all going to be working on, but it's much more low-level planning for them. If it were a full-timer, I'd be like, here's the mock-up. Talk to me if you have questions. Whereas with them, I have to actually think through how to do the whole thing and tell them step-by-step what to do because they they would not figure it out on their own. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like it's a lot, requires a lot more work yeah. than just no, design. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I, I'm super excited about it though. The, the projects. Uh, I love when the universe just works out where the thing I want people to do is the thing they want to do. Um, so I kind of went through a list of maybe 20 project ideas. I was pretty clear. I was like putting my thumb on the scale a little bit. Like these are the ones that are the highest impact and people want to work on high impact projects, but the the things they picked are exactly what I was hoping they would all pick. That, that's interesting that you say that. Um, so I, I told you that I posted that Duke reached out and said, Hey, can you put together a micro internship or an internship for, for, Duke students who've had their summer plans canceled. So I got 29 applications for that. Wow. Yeah. All non-paid internship applications. Um, some are in the business. Some people are in the business school. The resumes are ridiculous, man. Like people that are way smarter than me um, that are only like <laughs> 19, 20 years old. And I, when I, the way that I sort of responded to the offer or to the request was, hey, I'm happy to put something together. So I got all these requests, but I don't have projects. And I don't really want to... It's important that if like someone wants to work on this internship, that they're self-guided and like passionate about what they want to... Whatever they're working on. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting that you say that. It's like, I have... For these internships, I have to have um, a project that they like fall in love with. Otherwise, it really doesn't work because just takes too much time on my part and they're not going to be into it. So um, I have the resumes. I went through them all. And what I'm going to do next is I, I've identified based on the skill sets for projects that many of these people could do. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline those projects, which won't take too many. I need to do anyway. So um, it, it's fine. And I'm going to email um, a, all 29 people and basically say, Listen, I got your resume. Thanks. Here are the projects that I've outlined. If you're interested in any of these particular projects, please email me back explaining why and why you think you could be successful at it. And uh, I'm happy to jump on a phone call to see if it's a fit. Would you, if there's four projects, does that mean four interns max? Or might you say like three people will do this project? 
my opinion, I don't have time to deal with team management and trust building. Um, so I, I'm very concerned about having multiple interns work on the same project. What if they did it separately? Like you aren't working together. We're going to have three final results and like I'll combine them together later. I thought about that, but then I have to, part of my offer is to jump on a weekly call with each person. So there's an expense on my end to make this um, worthwhile, but I hadn't really thought about maybe I, I, I even go lighter on my offer and just make it a project and make the project available to as many people independently and make it even more self-guided. I feel kind of like that's a jip. I don't know. I, I want to, I want to, I want to develop relationships with the people that are working with like a pelt. I don't want it to be this sort of freelance project, if that makes sense. Yeah. You could potentially do both. Like I'm going to pick one person for each project. If you really have nothing to do and you just want something on your resume, like here's a two pager. I, I can't give you the same level of attention, but it, you know, it's something, I don't know. That's interesting. Like why not? Yeah. Because they, if they have nothing else to do, you know. Yeah, that's a good point, especially with some of the marketing projects, because there's a lot of things that need to be researched or um, not just researched, but like uh, written. Um, um, and so, there, yeah, there's some interesting specs you could pull out there that are you know interesting enough that if you really did them the right way, you'd learn a lot. And, um, you know, what you know would be worthwhile packaged the right way would be worthwhile as a resume builder if you're not doing anything else. Yeah. The, then again, the odds of them providing any value to you are pretty low. So it's almost more a way for you to give them something without committing so much of your time. I, I have a hard time imagining an intern with no mentorship does anything productive for you. I agree. It's interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I don't, I can't do an internship for someone who isn't in love with the project that they're going to be assigned because that takes too much management. But the nice thing like to to tie back to my experience with these interns picking the ones I wanted is they don't know what interests them yet. I mean, there's a certain if you go to a college student, you're like, this project will, you know, at the end of it, there will be a well in some place where water is hard to come by in Africa. Like most college students would be like, I'm motivated to do that. But when it comes to business stuff, if you're just like, this matters to me. So like, let me give you some examples of the projects that my interns are going to be working on. One of them is building out different commission amounts for affiliate payments. This is pretty boring. No, they probably didn't even know what the word affiliate meant prior to this summer. But when explaining them, I was like, this is super important because Alex, our biz dev person, is going out and forming affiliate partnerships and this will give him more leverage to make different deals. And like, this will make us money and it will be really valuable for the company. And so she was like, he seems excited about this. I want to go work on it. That's a really good point. Like making making it clear that this is meaningful work makes a big difference uh, on how someone might in- be motivated to do the work. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a like, good point. Now that I, can I think definitely about take it, that. actually, all of our projects are boring. There's rebuild a new API. That's pretty boring. When I say boring, what I should say is there is not a major customer-facing um, like element to it where it's like, I built this amazing new feature that you can see and touch. An API is completely backend. Nobody will ever really see it. One is building two-factor authentication for the login process, which is people care about security, but again, there's not like it's not a cool feature really, but it's super important to the business. So yeah, I think if you pitch pitch people like that, they'll get into it no matter what. That's helpful. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. What other updates um, do you have? 
So I have, maybe you can go next. I have some other product things where like, separate from the interns, I've been daydreaming about what um, what full-time developers and like just what our product strategy should be. But I've been talking for a while, so why don't you go? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I've, I've made some good progress on the client referral program. It was really interesting. I was spinning my wheels on it for a week. Um, and then... You know, last week at the very beginning of the week, I said, "Well, I just need to talk to some customers about this." And so I, <laughs> I reached out to every client and said, "Hey, do you mind just jumping on a call with me for 15 minutes and talking to me about what I'm thinking about for a client referral program?" And I'm so glad I did that. I got 100% response rate. Um, even some spouses that jumped on the call with me separately than um, the the actual user, and they. Um, basically let me ask them five different questions. Some of them were mom test worthy questions, like fact-based questions, like how often does health insurance come up in conversation? You know, how, you know, how many people do you know who buy their own health insurance? How many people do you suspect buy their own health insurance? What would make you, and then I got into some opinion based questions, but kind of had to get them go there to go. But Mm -hmm. anyway, I, I, after doing, you know, six interviews, it was clear, like there are two types of people. There are people who, work in a profession and have worked in a profession for a long time and will work for in a profession for a long time that does not afford health insurance or does not provide, I shouldn't say afford, does not provide health insurance. Um, they know people, the people that they're, they're friends that they see every day that they hang out with, that they know all buy their own health insurance. But there's another group of people who are like, I'm in this profession because um, I I'm in this situation where I, I just recently bought my first health insurance policy they are usually either newly to a startup or new to freelancing, new to consulting, and they know no one. They know a couple of people that they can maybe think of. So it's a drastic uh, difference uh, between those. Profession drives everything um, in terms of assumptions. It's like, yep, basically, like I can decide whether someone has an individual health insurance policy based on where they work and what they do for, for a living. Um, and then the only time it comes up in conversation really is that when someone's complaining about it. Yeah. So anyway, I guess uh, that's probably too much detail for for anyone that's interested in this. But what no, that's my great big... though. That's the type of questions that you're trying to get. An- like a- any business wants to get those same answers. They'll they'll be different answers, but they're the same questions. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Flying up for a second. It's like, listen, I I had a, I think there's two takeaways here. One is I was roadblocked. I wasn't sure how to do it. I was trying to figure out how to do a client referral program. And as soon as I went to the market and talked to my customers, I gained so much more confidence. So I think like anytime you are feeling stuck in a business uh, with anything and you have customers, go talk to them and you'll feel better Yeah, <laughs> uh, immediately. Um, and, and, and they may be even able to help you get over you know, the roadblock. Once I finished up these interviews, I basically now I, I have pretty high confidence. This is a word of mouth driven. This can be a word of mouth driven business. Um, and I'm settling in on a, you know, well, one interesting thing is um, when, when you're doing a referral program, um, mass appeal is really important. So one thing, one challenge you probably have is that a, one is that a CRM is not like necessarily mass appeal. So if I'm a person, uh, a user of less annoying CRM, how many other people do I know who are decision makers for, uh, of businesses who need a CRM? Mm-hmm. Like it's not easy to just refer that out unless I'm a certain type of person, like a consultant or, or something like that. Um, uh, Uber is a perfect example of something with high mass appeal, um, where everyone you know who lives in a city knows other people who live in a city who likely take a cab every now and again, or or drink, you know, want to have a, a night out and 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 consume alcohol. 
and need a ride and very mass mass appeal. The second really interesting component is not just mass appeal, but, um, mass, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, like it has to be something, uh, that is easy to, uh, explain, uh, to the other person. It's really easy to explain. Hey, like I get it. This is a new cab ride. Like, trust me, like go try it. And you just, you go right into it. It's part of a daily workflow. It's really easy to fit in. So, mm-hmm. um, both of those things are a little hard for leg up health. I realized like, like a that you know is, is doesn't necessarily have mass appeal because most people don't buy their own individual health insurance. But what are the numbers on that? Like maybe like what percentage of Americans? Everyone has to have health insurance, right? Yeah. So what percentage are buying individual policies? Well, that's a really good question. Um, uh, Lena is doing all this. Uh, she's <laughs> okay. the intern. She's doing all this. Uh, all this market research. She's done a great job. Um, she's focused on Utah, so I have those numbers. Yeah. Um, the total population for Utah, I think, is roughly, um, I think it's 3.3 million. And there are about 200,000 people of that that buy their own individual health insurance. Okay. So it's, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a minority, a small minority. Yeah, it's a, it's a small minority, but it's more than the number of like people buying CRM, probably. That's interesting. Yeah, it's that's it's got more appeal, more mass appeal. That, uh, yes. But it's just, it's not universal, right? It's not like Airbnb or Uber that just right. like, you, you know, it's just like, and, and then it, it's not as the other problem it has is, is frequency of sort of workflow, like come up, coming up in the workflow, like traveling to and from one place comes up in a day, everyone's day of, you know, normal day. Whereas, um, you know, having a question about health insurance, you know, for the normal person is a, once a well, it's, year, type it's infrequent thing. and it's normally not something you'd share. Like yep. one way with now Uber is like a unicorn example where like it's hard to get much better than that. But Uber or Airbnb, I might be a customer and I actually am physically pulling my friend into a Uber to go somewhere. There's no equivalent to, of that with health insurance. Yep. Yep. So it's um, it. I think that uh, what I've discovered is that. Um, there are subsets of users that are highly like are much more worthy of word of mouth and like quick referrals that will just happen naturally. Um, also, there's a big difference between someone who already has health insurance and sort of made me the broker and hasn't sort of had that wow moment um, mm-hmm. because they're they're just like no, I'm there um, versus someone who I helped enroll in the health insurance plan who's like wow, this was amazing. Which unfortunately, if my intuition says these two groups don't. Like if if you break your customers into a two dimensional like quadrant type of thing, there's have they been in their industry long enough to know a lot of other people in these industries? Yes or no. And then did you help them onboard into their health insurance plan? Yes or no. My guess is the experienced people are the ones you're not helping onboard because they already had it, which unfortunately, if I'm right about that means the people who really see the value are the ones with the worst referral networks. Exactly. Yes. Um, now, the, what's interesting is there is a there is a, a, a an exception to that, which is someone who has had a terrible broker experience, mm. um, and who is you know isn't is just sort of making me the broker. They immediately get it and start talking about it, just knowing that I'm there is so valuable because they don't they don't feel like the words they the phrases they use is they don't feel guilty about contacting me, and that's the they've never felt that way about a broker before. Which is kind of crazy because the broker makes money to be available to you. That's awesome language. That like that's your that's your landing page right there. 
never feel guilty about contacting your your broker again or you know something like that that's that's really good yeah i like that i love the strategy of talking to customers and taking their words and then putting that on your marketing (laughs) yeah one one other good phrase was um rick i mean leg up health was basically my shortcut to feeling good on about my health insurance coverage yeah uh you did the hard work so i didn't have to that's awesome get some a b tests running (laughs) (laughs) yeah i gotta have some traffic first yeah um Well, uh, that's client referral program. So I'm making progress on that. Oh, I guess what I, what I'm going to launch is I, I decided that ultimately I don't need a client referral program. I just need a referral program. So it has mass appeal and I'm going to launch a 10 for 10 two sided referral program, uh, that basically rewards the referrer, uh, $10 and the refer E the referral $10. If they, um, live in Utah, they're an eligible referral, meaning they live in Utah and they log into, um, they set up an account, Leg Up Health, and add their insurance information. And that is triggered independent of whether or not someone, I want to be very clear, this is triggered independent of whether or not they make me the broker. So that someone could could do this, log in, add their policy information, and decide not to make Leg Up Health the broker, and they would still get the $10. And that's a very important distinction so that this it's clear that this is not rebating under health insurance law. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, that's that's very, you know, I never really prior to this thought of what you're doing as having a freemium element, but it's very interesting incentivizing. Maybe you're forced into doing this, but even aside from that, interesting to incentivize its lead generation rather than actual like customer generation. Yep. Smart. Yep. So basically, uh, we'll see what happens, but I think $10 is worth someone telling someone about leg up health if they think if they suspect they have individual health insurance especially if like I can get the messaging right and the proof points on that messaging uh, to be like believable. How are you paying the $10? Because with, with most products, it's like you get $10 off your normal payment, but you can't do that. Are you just sending like a prepaid gift card or something like that? Yeah. So I talked to this company today called Tango Card. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. Uh, they they basically, um, they're interesting. They they have a SaaS product that basically lets you give two, either two, two different types of e-cards. One is a branded, direct brand gift card. So an Amazon gift card, for example, via e, like an, an email. Um, or you can give like a branded Leg Up Health e-gift, which is redeemable at Amazon plus like 199, 200 plus other, um, other brands. And I'm undecided on how to do that, but I definitely want like an email gift card, not a, not, I, I want to get as close to cash as possible without bringing in all sorts of complication. Yeah. Although I, I'm always fascinated by gift cards. Like think about the holidays and you're with extended family and I've never understood gift cards at all. Like what is the point? And yet they are different. People somehow value if if you give them a ten dollar Amazon gift card, they're like, "This is more personal." I almost wonder if you're better off leaning into that and being like, "What you get for referring is a ten dollar Amazon gift card," rather than implying you get ten dollars of cash. Basically, do you think that um, between the Amazon gift card and then ten dollars to spend it over two hundred plus brands, including Amazon, which one's better? Because I can brand the second one Leg Up Health. Um, the yeah. first one's just branded like uh, Amazon. The same. The the price to me and the economics are the same. So I cannot justify this opinion at all, but my instinct is Amazon is better. Me too. Okay. I can't justify it either. I think it's just uh, the only argument I can make is is simplicity. It's just like, it is what it is and you don't have to explain. There's no complexity. So there's definitely that, but I also, I think the appeal of a gift period, like what, like I, I just criticize giving someone a gift card, even normal gifts, like 
you give me something worth $50 and I give you something worth $50, wouldn't it be better off if we just hadn't given each other stuff? But I think the point is you get something you wouldn't have otherwise. It's like forcing you to treat yourself. And I do think telling someone, you get a $10 Amazon gift card, will make them think like, that's free money rather than that's like normal boring money that I'll just put in my bank account. Fair enough. That's a total guess, though. Who knows? <laughs> oh yeah, and if I if I refer ten people, I get a hundred dollars on Amazon, and I can buy a new, mm-hmm. you know, a new a new uh, cool thing that I really wanted. Yeah, there's something interesting there that's that's irrational. Um, maybe not irrational, but like uh, uh, emotional. Yeah, ra- yeah, ra- yeah, exactly. More emotional, exactly. So, what do you think about that? Like, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to make this so that it's first like all clients automatically get enrolled in this program and have a share link, um, and then. I'm gonna have a. I'm thinking about adding a um, a a sort of pay, you know, menu item. So I don't have any. If you go to legapelthrightnow.com, legapelth.com, you will see basically the logo at the top left, and then sign in or request access at the top right. I'm gonna add a menu item that says get ten dollars, and then uh, if you click that, it will basically you know give you two ways to earn ten dollars. One, refer someone, or two, sign up if you if you are an eligible referral, and I'll give you ten dollars even if you weren't referred. Hmm. Are you worried that that cannibalizes the incentive to refer people? Maybe not. I don't really know the psychological theory behind referral programs, but if you get the benefit whether you're referred or not, does that take the value away from the actual referral program? I don't know, but my feeling is that if I'm, I think if I'm going to put the $10 on there and I say, you only get the $10 if you were referred and you're someone on the website, I'm, I'm losing the incentive to like, I feel a little left out of that. So it's, it's kind of the, I'm looking at it from the other angle. It's like the, the guy who found like up health should get $10 too, even though he wasn't referred. I don't know. I sort of agree, but so I hate it when you go to check out at like some e-commerce site and they're like, enter your promo code. And it's like, well, I don't have one. That sucks. But that's different from if you just didn't have this get $10 thing at all on the website, nobody would know they're missing out. I and also, and also most people wouldn't know that there's a referral program. Well, until they sign up, I, I I'll say, I think the value of like, I'm paying you $10 to like some stranger, I'm paying you $10 to sign up. That's a different thing than like a friend of yours. I'm incentivizing a friend to spread the word. Who's already happily using me. Um, th- there are all these like, failed businesses that are like, watch an ad and I'll give you half of the revenue from the ad, which is not quite what you're, you're doing here, but like, it's more in that I'm going to just pay you directly for the outcome I want. Yeah. Basically, if you are an eligible referral, I'm paying you $10 to try out my free service. Um, and if you do that, I'll give you $10. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. My understanding is that doesn't have a good history, but I mean, it's worth a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. But like any, any company with a free trial could be like, we will pay you money to do the free trial. Um, no one does just for what it's worth. My hypothesis is that um, that that's different probably because you have to take out a paycheck because what makes this potentially work for me is that there's no conversion at the end in terms of com- the person coming out of pocket. Um, does that make sense? I'm basically it's legit. Like you said earlier, it's like lead gen. It's not, it's, it, it's not uh I guess yeah, people do do this. They give away ebooks. They they give away um, gift cards all the time for filling out a form. Do they? Which, yeah, people do this, and it doesn't work well because people assume it's spam. 
<laughs> anyway, I, I think it's worth the experiment, but I, I, if I were putting money on it, I would bet that in the future, this referral program works for current, I don't want to say customers because someone who's not paying, like makes you the broker of record could still do this, but someone who's actually getting value out of it. That to me, that seems more compelling than just any random person who comes to the website, sign up and I'll give you $10. That's my guess. But test it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're probably right. I would you even? I'm wondering, would you even test putting the ten dollars on up there and going directly, or would you just start off with just a, the referral program behind the scenes? I'd probably start with it behind the scenes at the very least. Um, I'd, another thing I'd be worried about here, since it's not a credit or anything like that, is could someone figure out how to like weaponize this and you're you know a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket because like four chan figured this out and they're all getting ten dollars from you. They'd have to prove an, they'd be an eligible referral. So I think it'd be really hard to... The way it's written is like, you have to be an eligible. You have to be a, U, a Utah resident who buys their own individual health insurance. So oh, okay. if, if, you, if you aren't that, then you can't really... You can't, it's hard to fake that because I, I can yeah, verify your fair. health insurance. That's fair. In any event, I'd say if someone's on your website clicking around like they're an organic lead, I think that at that point, like you need to be focusing on your real value prop and not, I'll give you $10 because they're interested I like the $10 as an incentive to get people to spread the word. That's good. So yeah, having like re- having a referral program listed on the website would probably be worthwhile, mm-hmm. but not like pitching, you know, visitors on get $10 to sign up is probably a distraction. Yep. I get it. Thank you. What, what other updates do you have? Um, actually I'm going to go out of order here because what this kind of plays off what you just said. I was just talking with uh, Alex who does business development for us and Something he brought up is just time and time again, we talk to what I'll call super fans. So he's been doing this thing where he emails. We've been trying to figure out, is there a way to like attribute? We have a lot of unattributable signups, free trial signups. Can we figure out where they're coming from? And one guess is like, what if we just emailed them and ask? We tried asking when they signed up and it didn't work very well. But so anyway, he's been doing that. And he says like out of the responses he gets, maybe one out of four people just rave. They're just like, I love less annoying CRM. I can't tell you how happy I am. You know, they've been using us for 10 days. Like they're, they're new users. And he's just like, he he brings up a good point. We've got to be able to do something with this, like more than just charge them $10 a month. Not, not, not necessarily say I don't want to charge them more because they love us, but like we have a referral program that some people use, but I don't know. I don't have any specifics, but he's just like, if we have these people who love, love, love us and we know who they are, can't we do something with that? I, it comes back to our earlier conversation where you have to make it easy for them to identify people who would um, benefit from their enthusiasm. And yeah, I think that's the hardest. Can't. Yeah. And and yeah. so like you have to do that for them, right? Like, so if you could somehow figure out how to help them identify people in there, if they could upload their contact list and say, Hey, here are people you could help them say based on their email address, which probably is not something you're ever, ever willing going to be willing to do, you know, be able to predict whether that person based on some third party data, uh, that, you know, they are a target customer for less annoying CRM, then that would be like a really good thing. But maybe you can just guide them through like, Hey, one thing I'm, for example, with like a pelt, one thing I'm trying to think, think through is, Hey, you know, like a pelt is changing the world. We're trying to do something different. We are different. You've experienced that. You know, we want to talk to people who buy their own individual health insurance. These people look like that, this. 
Yeah. They are yeah. freelancers. They are dental hygienists. They are masseuse. And like, it's much easier for people to identify. Oh, I know. I know. I have a, I go to the good massage. I should talk to that person versus, you know, asking a generic question like anyone who uses a CRM or anyone who buys their own health insurance. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you also just said something that I'm not sure I have the conclusive thought here, but you said have them upload their contacts. And one advantage, uh, advantage we've got is they're already doing it. Like we're a CRM. We already have all their contacts. Um, that would be interesting. I don't know if this crosses a line for less annoying CRM, but if you could somehow start analyzing your, you, you, I know you've been, you have to be very careful not to ever like misuse your customer's right. data, but if there's something you could do to say, Hey, like, would you like us to tell you, you want to help us grow? Would you like us to analyze your contacts and tell, you know, in less annoying CRM and tell you who else might be um, a good prospect, a good, a, a good referral for less annoying CRM. We're happy to do that for you. That's interesting. But, it, but definitely like that is one of those things that like could be in that. I remember you came up with like three buckets for feature development. Yeah. Zero sum game. But no, I, I think that's fine. So we would never in a million years, just to be clear, scan our customers data and like be like, we're going to, you know, send emails to these people without talking to the customer or whatever. But yeah, if, if the customer says, I love less annoying serum and they, they literally say, I, tell me to anything I can do to help. And right now we say, well, we've got this referral program and can you give us a testimonial? And they're like, yes, absolutely. Anything else in that situation to just be like, I, again, I don't know exactly what it is, but check the people off your list or whatever. They, they, they would choose to do it, I think. Yeah. If you made it, I think the biggest challenge is you don't have mass appeal and you need to be able to really quickly help them identify people to share their enthusiasm with. That is going to be my challenge too with Leg of Health. Yeah. I'll, I think it'll be easier for me though. Um, because it's a consumer product versus a B2B product. Yeah, although you're sort of in, but like it's consumer in the sense you're selling to consumers, but I bet the dynamics of the business will be more similar to less annoying CRM, which is a very, very like low market small business B2B product. I bet it'll be more similar to that than a typical consumer tech tech product. But okay, cool. That gives me, gives me something to think about. Um, I'll mention that to... Alex, we've also been dabbling with like, I don't think any of these ideas make sense, but doing a, a user community type of thing or one that came up today is, should we just like, should Alex do a podcast with them and just say, I want to talk to one super fan a week and just learn about their business and whatever. Would anyone want to listen to that? I don't know, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's really it. Like you either need them to, to introduce you to people. That's a, these are, there are two tracks. You either need to get introduced by them to people. And there's different ways to, to do that. Or you need to leverage them for content that other, might reach other people like testimonials or podcast content or, or you know, it's, those are the two plays it's content and introductions. Yeah. It's interesting now that, now that I combine what you just said about get them to check the people off the list. Yeah. So they, they may not want to share the CRM with people, or they may not know people to share the CRM with, but if we give them something else to share, that's about them instead of about us. Like even if no one subscribes to the podcast, it might be worth an hour recording an interview to say, just send this out to a hundred people. This, I love, I love that I'm getting where I am with leg up health because I'm starting to see the similarities between our businesses. We both have, um, we're both going to have a business that will grow to a couple, like 
will grow to a certain point on just doing good things, but to get to that next level growth and long-term sustainable growth, word of mouth brand recognition has to be hacked somehow. Hacked is the wrong word, but like has to be um, systematized, controlled. controlled. Yeah. yeah. And I do like this because the, yeah, it, it is the word of, you're not, you're not asking necessarily for an introduction here. You're, you're asking for help indirectly in driving brand awareness. And I, I do love that. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. I'll, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually going to like, I think this is very applicable to me as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, cool. I've got more stuff on my list, but why don't we hand it off to you? What's next for you? Well, I, I want to provide a quick update uh, before we move too much further into conversation. I, uh, two weeks ago, last week we talked about racism. Um, I would have updated about this then. Um, but the week before, uh, the racism, uh, episode, I was presented in discussions with a pretty interesting opportunity. Long story short, it was an entrepreneurship opportunity, which is basically think of it as like, uh, a president of a division of a larger company. And it was a very interesting opportunity primarily because of the similar space it's in, um, to leg up health. And then also because of the people that I would have been able to work with, uh, the, the CEO of the company challenged me, uh, on my, um, convictions, um, which really forced me to have to like deliberate over the, over, uh, two weekends ago, whether I'm at a, in a place, um, to, to pursue something like that. And what I came to ultimately was I'm in a high curiosity, low conviction place, which is ideal for early entrepreneurship. Um, because it allows me to f- let my curiosity run wild and see where it takes me and c- conviction to build over time. And what I realized in, in looking at this opportunity, I would have had to like force conviction, which almost always means lying to yourself. And, uh, once I realized that I was like, okay, this, it doesn't matter what opportunity comes at my, my way right now, because I'm in this place of low conviction, high curiosity, it's unlikely to be conducive to taking a job with someone else. It's, it's actually better for me to, to stay on this entrepreneurial path until my, 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 I hope my curiosity stays high, but until my conviction on what I want to do professionally, um, whether that's the, you know, leg up health, another entrepreneurial endeavor or join, you know, work for another company increases. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm focused on leg up health. I am, uh, I might, I would say that as a result of this, my conviction on the start to last, uh, sort of ideal scenario, f- figuring out how to build that, being patient for it has increased. Um, and my conviction around like health has increased, but I still am I'm much more, I'm now much more aware that, man, I'm in low, I have a low conviction situation here and I need to m- sort of manage that a little bit better than I have because it, it leads to all sorts of, uh, roots being, you know, you know, sprouted, uh, you know, that, that don't take, don't help me with what my current priorities are. That's a really good framework that I'm going to, I think actually something I'm going to mention in a minute probably can use the same like curiosity versus conviction framework. And I especially like it. Maybe the outcome of this is you do this and six months from now, your high conviction and your conviction is that this isn't right. Um, which is not like, it's not the outcome you're hoping for, but also that's not a bad thing. Like that's better than where you are right now. Um, and I think it'd probably be a lot healthier if a lot of entrepreneurs did that. Like 
there's so many people who are waiting for the perfect moment to start their business, to quit their job or whatever. And it's like, even if you quit and realize it's not for you, that's probably better than spending the next 10 years wondering and never acting on it. Totally. And I've, I've experienced high conviction before. Um, yeah, you know, and when you have it, it is, it is the most motivating. You don't need to sleep almost like it is. You want to work your ass off towards whatever you believe, um, is the, it is the priority. And when you feel that, you know it. Um, and if you don't feel that you might not know it. Um, and what was really helpful is being called out on that. I'm, and this just tells you like why it was such an interesting opportunity is, you know, in part, as part of my conversations, I get challenged like this and, mm-hmm. um, I, I became aware of something I wasn't aware of. And like, I think that I, I my, my kind of conclusion is I'd be interested in just one final thought from you on this is, is, is it okay to have low conviction? You know, is that a bad thing or is it just is, and should, when you have low conviction on anything, like, and you're high, highly curious about life, um, it's professionally, let's keep it to professions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does that mean about you? Does that mean you should be doing certain things? Um, is it bad? Is it good? That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you asked, is it bad or just, is it, I think it just is. First of all, forcing conviction is the opposite of, well, I want to hedge that. So, cause I think it's possible that if you identify yourself as low conviction, this, the right thing to do is still to commit to something, but to pick your head up periodically and look around and be like, have I learned enough from that experience to now have conviction either to continue doing it or to do something else? Cause I do think like it's not sustainable or productive to just noodle forever to just say like wh- where you were a year ago was good for then. But if you were still there, I'd be like, Rick, it's time for you to just pick something and get moving, you know, which you've done, which is great. But uh, so I think maybe it's bad to be low conviction and afraid to just put your head down and do something. But it's good to be identify that you're low conviction and say, after I do it for a while, I need to reevaluate it regularly and not just be stubborn and like w- wake up 40 years from now and realize I wasted my life on something I didn't care about. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I think that's probably what's going to happen is, is this is probably a six month, put my head down, pretend to have conviction as much as I can still keep my eyes up, my head up, but you know, be a little bit patient with myself at the same time. Yeah. There are some very interesting parallels between what I'm, th- this conversation, and what I'm going to talk about next. Go ahead. Which is, so I I have very, very high conviction about the business of less knowing CRM. I'm, I'm as excited about it as I ever was, but I'm at a bit of a crossroads with the product specifically where there are a handful of different ideas that I'm all, I'm excited about all of them. So it's in a sense, I'm high conviction in three different directions. I, that's not really what conviction means, I guess, but I'm, uh, so it's not a bad thing. It's not where I lack inspiration, but it's where I am very uncertain of which direction to take things in which I guess high curiosity is a good good way to describe that. And I've mm-hmm. just been trying to figure out, you know, we I, I don't have to decide what to what the five-year vision is and stick with it. But I probably have to decide what the five-year vision is and commit to it for six months, which is almost exactly what we just talked about you doing. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's the right thing to do is you is when you're in the situation where you have high curiosity, low conviction. It sounds like you have high conviction on the business as a whole and the direction and the mission and all that sort of stuff. But 
the 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 next let's just call it five year vision for the product is low conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, it it probably does make sense to make the best decision you can right now um, for a period of time and be okay being wrong. Like go like be patient with yourself. Like I think that's allow conviction to grow naturally um, through work. Um, that feels right. Yeah. Yeah. This is. I'll get into specifics of it in just a second, but. This sounds like I know you've kind of been thinking if we were to make a startup to last Bible or whatever, mm-hmm. I think this is actually probably something that belongs on it is you have to give yourself, you have to put yourself in a position where you can be wrong because I think that's where it's paralyzing. If you're running a startup that just raised venture funding and it's like, if we don't hit our, our metrics six months from now, it's all over. That's a much higher pressure decision than saying, if I don't hit my metrics six months from now, I was hoping to go full time in six months, but instead it'll be 12, right? Those are very different situations to be in. Um, so I'm thankful, like what you just said reminded me, I can definitely afford to spend six months on something and not have it be, none of these are going to be f- wastes of time. All of the ideas are like, they'll inch us in a direction that I'm excited about. The question is like, what, which one inches us the most, basically. Is there a scenario in which maybe you should just, you know, not do any of them? Well, that's one of the, so let's get into specifics here. There's kind of maybe two, I'm oversimplifying, but there's two, I'll do the quadrant thing again, two different dimensions I want to decide on. One is, do we do what is, there's some like really obvious short-term wins that we could do as a company. Let's call it like a a handful of six-month projects for one person that we know would work. We know our customers want it. It'd be very safe. I think that's the equivalent of like do nothing, right? It's just do the easy slam dunk projects versus things. But those things don't really contribute to a long-term vision. They're not like strategic. They're just, they're there. And then we move on to something else. And then the other category is, do we try to improve in ways that make us better head-to-head competition with other CRMs? Or do we try to improve in ways that give us an actual unique differentiator against other CRMs? Um those are kind of the two main dimensions of that that I'm trying to decide between. And why why isn't it like what is the reason that if you could why is it this a clear choice? It seems it seems like uh, ultimately it wasn't the original conversation at the beginning of this year around distribution and and sort of figuring out. Uh, I'm trying to recall the conversation, figuring out like how big, the, whether this business is as big, like is, is sort of reached its, its market potential and you need to expand the product in order to grow to, to the next growth, to the growth phase. Or if, you know, there's a next like sort of level of, of just taking the existing product and figuring out how to get more awareness on it and, and, and growing that way. Yeah. That was part of it. And specifically, we said we're going to target travel agents and build features for them. So the pl- one of these I th- ideas that like doing nothing would be building invoicing, which is we've, I- I'll say we already started it, but not in a way where it, it wouldn't waste any time if we stopped right now. We've kind of done groundwork that we'll need anyway. But if we did the plan from February, yeah, it'd be build invoicing specifically because we think travel agents want it. And we think that it'd be better to go after a specific industry rather than, as you put it, boil the ocean. Obviously, those plans got disrupted when the entire travel agent uh, t- travel industry got shut down. <laughs> yeah, but the, I would say fly up above travel agents for a second and say, what was the theme of that decision? Why did you make that decision? I would say that was not a product decision. That was a marketing decision. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, 
but but like guys what i'm getting to is like shouldn't product development i guess the question is like why isn't product development focused on marketing like solving marketing problems um uh you know if that's the priority for the organization as a whole um and if you know and maybe you still i know you're good at setting time away aside for experimentation but it feels like it feels like we know you, we know that uh, at less than CRM that there's a lot of market out there that does no idea that the only problem sta- the only thing standing between the client the client and less than CRM is awareness yeah um you know let's let's focus on that and then you know, c- you know while doing that runs experiments on these other areas with with some time and see if something doesn't stick that increases our conviction uh, on some other thing yeah, I mean that sounds like a nice idea. the The thing that like focuses on marketing, I'll, I'll say, is the the category I said that's like short term. Like, we could go and build financial reporting into the CRM. It would have no strategic value at all, but we know that that would that's a, or we suspect strongly that's a feature that would help our marketing efforts. Um, so I think the question is, all of this is marketing eventually right? There's short-term marketing. And then there's like, where do we want to be? And this actually, I I have like three different cards on our little Trello list here that I want to talk about, but they're all kind of related. So one of them is I've actually been trying to take the startup to last phrase and applying it to less knowing serum and product strategy and saying, one of the big things that that added confusion here is I was doing one of these group brainstorming sessions. And one of the other people at the company pointed out the thing that you're saying would help the most right now, something like financial reporting or invoicing or whatever, they're like, you know, we're still going to be here 20 years from now. I don't think that's going to be it. I don't think that's the one that's going to make us a success 20 years from now, which is not something I had not thought about it in those terms before, but that's an interesting lens to look at it through. It's very short term. Yeah. Which could still be worth it, right? Arguably, make more money now to hire more employees to like create a flywheel to build whatever the five-year vision is or 10-year vision is or go after it head on that that's maybe a better way to frame this question yeah i i always come back to there's there's sort of different types of marketing and the the feature sort of approach to product development in terms of helping marketing feels more of a like a conversion play like hey we've got these people coming to the website and we could get more of them to sign up and and stay with us if we had this feature um what i'm talking about as coming back to is like the problem isn't conversion like there's yes we know that there's opportunity with conversion and we can make more money if we focus on conversion but what really stands between less annoying crm and the 20 years you know being a being able to accomplish all our vision is whether or not we can predictably increase awareness and, and right. pour, pour more people into the top of the funnel. So I, I'm like, this is definitely, I'm biased here. So discount, you know, probably 50% of what I'm saying. Um, but like, I, like it seems like the more energy you could spend focusing all resources at the company that aren't going to like things that have to get done to keep the business afloat towards figuring out how to drive more awareness to your ideal t- customer um, would be like the best thing to do, including product. And if it doesn't fall within like within those within a bucket of increasing awareness, it's like we know we we know we can go do that next if we if we if we fail at driving word of mouth. But like getting to a definitive fail on driving word of like brand awareness seems like a win. Yeah. 
Okay. And so to, to go back to what we were saying earlier in the year, there's a set of projects that they are features, but the goal is not to convert more users. The goal is that the feature encourages our customer to share it with their customer. So invoicing, you send an invoice to your client, appointment scheduling, web forms. These are all things that are external facing. And so they wouldn't be about, yes, our customers would like the features, but you're advocating, it sounds like for that type of thing, not to improve conversions, but to improve word of mouth. And the reason I'm saying that, yes, that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm say- And the reason I'm saying that is you can all... Six months from now, that feature will be buildable, and you know you you can predict within some some you know percentage points how how effective it's going to be. What you have an unknown around in the business is the scary stuff around how do you double the business if you wanted to? Um, yeah, and that's the stuff that I would just like like confront head on and like be uncomfortable confronting and like that's this type of thing I do six months on and, and then give up if you can't make it, if you can't make it. Okay. So this at least, uh, makes it obvious that one of the options I was considering is wrong, which is one of these was a feature, not a marketing, like this is all product, but product to improve conversions rather than product to improve marketing, let's say, uh, and not part of the, it's not a risk. It's not an experiment. It's not part of the five-year vision, which to me says, I still actually think it's a feature our customers would like a lot and all that, but we should either be betting on the future or we should be focusing on increasing our reach. And this, the, the financial reporting doesn't do either of those. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just, I, I, I see this bucket of things that like are incremental improvements that you're going to do eventually, but do you have to do them right now? No. And there's the, these other two buckets on either side, which are revenue pr- increasers. Like they're, they're like, Hey, like w- our ability to grow, these things help us grow and do have bigger impact and closer to our vision. One is more customers on the current product so oversimplified. And, and one is more revenue per customer and maybe a new market for customers. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think like I still, I may be wrong here. But it feels like before you feel you, you're going to have a lot of conviction around around the company at going after the increased revenue per customer and the new product markets, you're going to want to exhaust the potential of the existing product and feel confident that you've done everything you can before sort of taking resources away from what could have been. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And I have a follow up there real quick note. I just do want to say one thing that did change from earlier this year is that it's a harder time to grow than it was. And I, I kind of have not been, I didn't have my thoughts organized coming into this, but that's one thing that changes. We are like, I don't think this is necessary. If you say you're going to get to that one day, arguably this is the perfect time to say, we're going to take our foot off the gas and do all that stuff that, that we've been pushing off. But anyway, that's yeah. Yeah. Right now, while, while this isn't even a reproducible scenario, Mm -hmm. let's, let's do the things that we, we could do at any time and we know are going to work and buy time. That's a great reason to do those things actually. So you, is it, is it okay if I dominate the rest of this? I know you've got other cards here. Um, you mentioned like more revenue per customer. So this has also been kind of on my mind recently. Now I don't know if you remember, maybe at the end of 2019, I went through this exercise with the company of getting all the employees' feedback, what features do you want, all this. And at the time, we were thinking, it's a matter of time before we have two pricing tiers. And it's kind of a question of like, what actually goes into that second pricing tier? The conclusion from that was, 
we really, really value the sim- simplicity of having one price. Our product is worth more than we charge right now. So instead of adding features and charging more for them, what if we just keep doing what we would do anyway and raise our price for everyone except our current customers? If, if you're a current customer listening, I just want to be very clear. Your price is staying $10. Don't worry. But saying pro- probably 15 would be the number. Say we're going to go from 10 to $15 for all new users. And just I, I think you ha- I think you need to start doing that regularly um, just as you know the do- value of a dollar decreases for new customers. Um, so I think, yeah, I have totally support for new customers doing that. Um, so you're not going to get a, any sort of fight on me on that. Well, I'm not exactly looking for a fight, but okay, let me, you're not going to get any objection to me on that. It, you know, you do it, test it and see if it affects conversion. If it doesn't win, win, win. Yeah. I mean, it'll almost certainly affect conversion to some extent, but I, I don't this know. Is that, one co- I don't know that like the guy signing up for a product is price sensitive enough for, I, I would be very interested to see the price sensitivity on a $10 per month CRM going yeah. to 15. Me too. I was just looking at our competitors pricing and uh 5 years ago when I looked at this, it was it was just kind of all over the place like some are $9, some are 13 and just kind of random seemingly. Everything has consolidated since then. Some products have are free or have a free tier. There's $12, there's $19, and there's $25. And then like a million CRMs way more expensive than that. But um, there's nothing 10. We're the only $10 product. There's not like 12 is the exact number and 19 is the exact number. And they're all just bunched up around there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of that. Is it just like, like, is there some science that 12 is the perfect price or are they all just anchoring off of each other? Listen, I, I feel if you don't need to raise prices right now, it feels like a bad time to do it. That's um, the main thing I wanted to ask yeah. you about, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I think timing-wise, like I'm, it's funny that you say, like, I'm glad you brought up that this is a challenging time for just ec- you know, economic transactions um, across the world. Uh, so I think while if if we, if we were operating under a normal situation right now, where um, we may not like we can't, where, where there's predictability around the world, uh, ec- uh, economic economy. Um, I think that I would be arguing, you know, don't worry about any of this right now. Just go do word of mouth. <laughs> so, and, but, but I hear but, you, but let but, me but, say but, why now might matter. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but because of now the situation that we're in, it's like, just man, go do the things that you know are going to matter no matter what Buy time and be, be boring for six months. Yeah. While this, while this blows over. So there's a reason why I'm somewhat motivated to do this now. Pricing wise. Pricing wise. Okay. Um, and when I say do this now, I, I think we would certainly, no matter what, announce it well in advance. We would give people, if you've been thinking about signing up, you've got three months or whatever to get in locked in at the old price. Um, I don't mean like literally now. Um, we're going to have a decision to make. So we've lost two people on the CRM coaching team. One left the company. We hired a replacement, but he didn't work out. And so we had to fire him right before the pandemic hit. And we have not replaced him, but because of financially we don't we now we don't want to the other person has transitioned from crm coach to marketing we can transition her back but she would be unhappy we would risk losing her i have no idea what her mental state is on that but i'm sure she would rather do marketing and we want her to do marketing mm-hmm. so when we get out of this we're going to be facing a situation where we're understaffed relative to what we probably need to be if things go back to normal and I should say things actually are pretty close to back to normal, but we've got interns right now, so it's fine. 
as soon as we increase the price, this stops being an issue because either our signups go down enough that we don't need those two people or our signups don't go down and we have the money to pay for a new hire. We would make a different decision. If we're going to go to $15 anyway, there's an argument to be made, do it sooner so that we never, we don't have this weird gap where it's like we can't fund that CRM coach without losing the marketer. Yeah, I guess. Um, how 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 much room do you have right now for experimentation? Like, is this a good time to take take risks of cash flow of cash flow hits if conversion? How, what percentage of like new signups is revenue in the next? If, let's say ninety days. What's like a ninety day uh, percentage of revenue uh, from new signups um, during that period? I'm not sure. I, so let's say in normal times, we grow something like 2% per month. Now that's new growth minus yeah, churn. Yeah. And there's a lot, lot going on there. I think what, one, one metric that I would look at to sort of assess the risk of this is what in a 90 day period, how many new, new users sign up for that 90 day period? What is the mm-hmm. revenue from that? Um, including the three, the two, like kind of the, uh, the three months from the first month, the two months from the second month, and the one month from the third month. Yeah. Um, and they just go like, what percentage of revenue is that in, a, in that time period for the past 90 days? And then go, okay, um, if if conversion, you know, drops, you know, 20, 50%, I'm even, right? Because I've doubled the, I've increased the price uh, 50%. A third. It can drop a third. A third. Yeah, third. Yeah. Sorry, third. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you've got a lot of room. I doubt you'll drop conversion 33%. My bet is that this is not a very price sensitive solution. It's Yeah, that's my guess. Or, yes. or and the people who do drop probably are also people who probably use a lot of customer service and like even if we drop a third and we break even on revenue, it's probably quite a bit better for profit. I just don't guess. I don't think that that people are making a price decision here. I don't so that's, believe that's so. That's that's part of my question. There okay, it's obvious to say right now is not a good time to raise prices. Um is that primarily because it will be hard to sell and it's actually bad for us? Or is it primarily perception that people will think it looks bad to to do this to people during a hard economic time? That might somewhat influence this, where I think we can do all kinds of nice things to help with perception. For example, we've given tons of our customers six months for free to get through COVID. We're grandfathering in every single existing customer. I think we can manage perception, but there's no managing a new customer. Like they, they, they don't know any of that stuff. Right. I feel like this is actually a good call to try, try to do it right now and just learn as quickly as possible. Um, of what the, what the conversion rate down, what, what, what the price sensitivity is of your new signups that would tell you a lot about the business. Um, yeah, it's pretty low risk given that you are increasing price 50%. Uh, you have a lot of room to turn to like, to, to decrease conversion. Um, the other consideration would be just trying to understand, like, it sounds like you're in a really good cash situation right now, which yeah, makes better this than like, ever. Yeah. So that probably, that probably makes this a better than ever time to do it too. Okay. So you're not worried about like, I don't know, it's seeming kind of unsavory and tone deaf to, we would still be uh, tied for the cheapest non-free CRM on the market, but we would no longer be the cheapest. I think this is great. I think, I mean, especially when you say like, you're never going to, you maintain your brand promise that you'll never raise prices for existing customers. And 
you make that promise again at the $15 per month. And then when he raises to 20 in another 10 years, you know, these guys have 15 bucks. Like, I, I just think it's great. I, I, this makes sense. This is, this is the action of a, a, a business that keeps its brand promises and goes above and beyond to, to make it, um, the transition fair for everyone involved. I, I have no problem with it. Okay. I'm not going to say I'm 100% decided after this, but this has given me more confidence. And I'm if, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it soon because I do think this winter things could get worse again, like with the pandemic and stuff. And I think we're in a weird la-la land where everyone's acting like the world's normal. And this would be a better time to raise prices than like December or January would be. So, okay, cool. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Sorry for dominating the whole conversation there. Um, we're at an hour. Do you, do you want to talk about any of your stuff or save it for next week? No, I think I can save it. Nothing urgent. Um, I, uh, it's always good talking to you. I really, I, I, I thought this was a really good conversation. I, you never know like how they're going to go. And sometimes they're really, they're really interesting and we're dealing with similar problems that, that have similar frameworks to think through them. So this was a good one for me. Yeah, me t- I totally agree. And I was nervous when we went to this, you know, we used to do a deep dive every episode and we may still do that from time to time, but now we're doing like a bunch of topics. I was worried, am I going to like really run out of topics? Cause we're going through like three or four a week and they keep coming. <laughs> nope. nope <laughs> I don't think that'll change. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Hey everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I have two favors to ask first, please write a review on the ad- podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.